When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Welcome back to Band Biographies. I'm your host, Tom Austin Morgan, and I'm here to give you a brief introduction to this interview episode of the podcast with Jack Pop, founder of the Alka Pop record label. I was made aware of Alka Pop at the beginning of this year when I spoke to the Stepney sisters about the release of their debut album, 50 Years After Forming, which was put out by Alka Pop. I then did a bit of reading on the label's website and couldn't believe the story about its forming. They also have been involved with releasing the first UK podcast on vinyl, as well as a host of other innovative release formats, and also some pretty genius political stunts as well. But I won't spoil any of that here, I'll let Jack tell his own stories. So without further ado, let's get into this amazing chat we had together. So Jack, thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to come on and be interviewed by me today. It's great to have you. An absolute pleasure. No, it's uh, it's it's really nice. And uh, you know, I'm a big podcast fan myself. Um, and to do these kind of things is such fun. And I actually got an email from another podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago who were like, Jack, we want to get you on. Here's our here's our pack to have a look at. And I was like, okay, I'll have a look at that. And it turned out they wanted to charge me a thousand pounds to be interviewed. So uh, you know. <laughs> It's it's good news, Tom. Your fee's only half that, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm delighted to be honest. I've undercut them. <laughs> wow, that's an interesting. Yeah, I didn't realise that was a thing. Okay. No, I didn't realise it was a thing. But uh, yeah, maybe I've, I should start actually charging people to come on. This is yeah. yeah. I, I I politely refuse, uh, yeah, but, I, uh, but it made for a good tweet, right? Which is uh, <laughs> which is what half this label business is all about, anyway. So exactly. uh, yeah, um, and before we get into into the Alcapop story I just want to kind of get into you know a little bit about you as well you know mm-hmm. so um with quite easy questions get you into the swing of it but yeah so what what's uh, the first song that you kind of remember hearing that got you into music what was the one that kind of 
jumped out of the speakers and grabbed you. Yeah, I, I like it's a tough one for me. This and you know, just to make life difficult, I've got a few answers for it. If that's of okay, yeah. So when I was growing up, there were a couple of artists that I really remember getting excited about that my dad used to play and my mum over and over again in the car. And then when I got a little older, they got a car changing CD player where you can yeah. stick five CDs in the boot, which kind of means that actually you never end up changing the CDs, right? So we had this, this constant soundtrack when we went on holiday that primarily spilled something along the lines of Christopher. I remember him being heartily involved. Uh, but like, you know, while I loved a bit of Christopher, maybe Spaceman was a great song, but I wouldn't probably necessarily equate that with something that really got me excited. The Beatles were one that were very special to me. I, uh, I remember in sort of when I was about six or seven at school, we had to do a project on a thing. And it was the first time at school we kind of done a project and you got given a small piece of wall where you kind of put your stickers up and posters up and then you had to kind of talk about it. So, so the Beatles were, were mine in a, uh, in, a, in a really out there kind of pick. But Strawberry Fields was always the one, I think, for me, for the Beatles. I, I remember hearing that song and sort of being like, wow. You know, for me, that's one of the first songs that really connected with me and sort of, you know, almost opened up that world of exciting possibilities with music. You know, that definite kind of transcending from where you where you kind of you sat at school doing some maths. And then kind of you think about Strawberry Fields and you're like, this is a new world. This is somewhere I would love to be. Um, and then the other one, uh, who's another one of my dad's favourites, and an artist that's kind of lived with me possibly more than any other right up till now. And, and someone whose records I still listen to an awful lot. I've been to see a couple of times live in concert and who I would absolutely claim is the best artist I've ever seen live uh, is Leonard Cohen. Um, so I think that was the first time that I really thought about music and in terms of its sort of lyrical content, um, I remember listening to, I mean, first we take Manhattan is probably a good example where Leonard Cohen's rattling on about a monkey and a plywood violin and how he practiced every night until he's ready. And it's like, and the Tower of Song was another one, actually. And yeah. it's kind of like these songs, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and obviously there's some pretty... Uh, there's some pretty edgy lyrics for a, uh, for a youthful child in the, uh, and you know, I was just singing along in the back, you know, full, full voice in my, uh, in my falsetto child uh, manner, you know, singing about all of the stuff that Leonard Cohen sings about. And my mum and dad were fine with it. So I was kind of like, but, but he sort of really struck me and I was so fascinated by what he was talking about. And I, and I it was that kind of that first time, I think that I, in my youthful way, kind of understood that lyrics could mean more than just, you know, the lyrics. And, and obviously the Beatles had a lot of that as well, but I guess I didn't understand it so much, but I'm sort of saying to dad, like, what does this even mean? Where is the Tower of Song? Mm. You know, why would you send someone a monkey in a plywood violin? I just don't <laughs> understand. And, 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 you know, all of those kind of lyrics and you sort of like, what's the, give me crack and anal sex. I mean, I was happily singing along with that. Uh, in the <laughs> The more I think about it, the more ridiculous it is. But I was kind of like, you know, just belting along with it and, and loving it. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Leonard Cohen, I think, was kind of like, was a really sort of key one for me to kind of, to take, to transcend it, to kind of like open up these worlds. And, and as I sort of grew up a little bit more and read a bit of his poetry and listened to more of the stuff and started to understand a little bit more about where he was coming from, I just got absolutely fascinated by him. Mm -hmm. And finally went to see him. I don't know, probably about 15 years ago with my folks again in Manchester. And he played this kind of three and a half hour set, despite being in his 70s or 80s or whatever he was, you know, note perfect, brilliantly funny all the way through. 
band being absolutely superb. And it was that kind of like, you know, I've seen this thing that has always meant a lot to me. I just, and this is a performer. This is kind of transcendent of, of, of what music is about. And this is something that, you know, I would pay a lot of money to go and see because it's really special. This is someone who's absolutely honed their craft. Mm. It's fascinating, has so much going on. So mm. yeah, and that's quite a long answer actually. No, that's so for fine. me, so for me, that was kind of uh, that was kind of really important. And another one that I wanted to just give a, a little mention to, I think, when I started getting really into my indie, was a band called Uberman who had a song called Surely Wall with this lovely little outro that was, you know, sort of super beautiful. It, they were a Liverpool band. It was kind of very Liverpool uh, sounding chat at the end, and it was something about that song when I bought that EP that made me realise I wanted to get into that world of music. At mm. the time, thinking more about playing than running a label, but it was that that I was like, yeah, this is for me. This is where I want to be. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of thing I want to be listening to. Right, right. I've not heard of that last band there, but they, certainly... it, it, it would be fair to say they weren't one of Indy's biggest hitters. <laughs> it was something, I think it was just because I got so involved at the time. They had a forum back in mm. the days when everybody was growing up sort of uh, talking on the forums. And it, it's funny, actually, the people I talk to in music now who were on that YouTube forum back in right. the day people like Eddie Argos from Art Brute Stephen Aykroyd from DIY oh, sorry not DIY magazine used to be DIY magazine started that upset and dork magazine you know who were kind of active in the same places who we never knew you mm-hmm. know at the time but it was just this lovely little community of people being incredibly passionate about Uberman if you like your indie pop I would definitely uh, suggest checking it out but yeah uh, for sure that's the whole kind of indie mentality, isn't it? Like the forums were the places to be in the early internet. And it's just, it's interesting that you've got like a little network of people that you still kind of interact with, even though you didn't know each other at the time. Yeah, that's it. And it, it was, it was a lovely thing, you know, because the internet, I guess, was such a, such a, a less sort of multifaceted beast than it is. Oh God, I sound really old. Oh, the days before the internet, no, no, the days at the beginning of the internet, or at least the popular sort of, um, uh, usage of the internet I guess for for us and it was nice you know you were meeting people who were so into your tech and I was lucky enough to to at school have a few people who were as geeky about music as me who would love to go to I can't even remember what it's called now what records in Kenilworth at lunchtime to pick up all the all the CDs and we had this lucky thing whereby because we liked artists who were destined to fail pretty much fully all the time <laughs> it would be like you go in and the CD singles would be one ninety nine, and you'd be like, "Well, it's Uberman. That's going to be ninety nine p next week." And lo and behold, of course it was. So, so we always used to wait for week two, uh, which is probably why those bands failed. Because I imagine there was a community of indie kids all the way around the country, sort of smashing the first week sales. Because it's like, now nah, you're never going to. And all the successful singles went up to three ninety nine. So it was the gamble, you know. And, yeah. And, 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 and luckily, the bands we liked always went down to 99.5 by week two. And if you gave it a couple of months, there'd be in a lucky bag where you pick up five, five for a pound of singles that, that had really failed. Heralding the death of all your favourite artists. Exactly. We, lit- <laughs> we literally reveled in the death of our favourite. They were, they were probably all there in, the, in these meetings with their record label execs going like, no, unrecouped by an unbelievable amount yet again. And we're all giggling. Giggling with glee, picking up our 99p singles. But, you know, it, it was that kind of thing. And we used to, you know, I remember chatting to, a, like, lots of people on the YouTube forum and kind of, you know, making each other tapes and, and doing all of that kind of stuff and sending them to the... 
other end of the country where we'd have no reason to be chatting to someone in Southampton and mm. making them a mixtape. But but actually, you know, it was all there and it was all kind of happening. It, it, yeah, it was lovely. So I think for me, that kind of it really kicked in the community of music for me, which is something that's super important to the kind mm. of core of Alcopop and, and what we try and, and sort of be all about. So for me, you know, and, and I think that's something we've tried to do from the beginning of the label is you know, keep it contemporary, keep working with really awesome new bands, but also embody a little bit of that late 90s spirit where, for me at least, and, and you know, sort of bring that to, to new generations mm. uh, of those kind of times where you're down by the river uh, looking at your teenage fan club postcard that had just come through, you know, from Three Alveston Place, all the classics, drinking yeah. hooch, you know, talking excitedly about the new, I don't know, hormone single. And like, you know, it's just just that time when when you just cared about everything and and every band felt so vital and going to the Wolfram Hall was kind of like the, the best thing in the world. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess Ubermoon were kind of a bit of a gateway into that for me. Yeah. And what was, what was the first single or album you bought as well? Like what, with your own money? Cause this, this is where your indie credentials, I hope are going to be undermined oh. massively. <laughs> oh. I, I could not undermine them more. Okay. So <laughs> let's start with the first CD album, which was when I popped into Boots to pick up my CD Hi-Fi. I had a quick look on the racks and the first CD I ever bought for myself with my own money was Meatloaf the Collection, which nice. you know, that's, that's not, not bad. bad. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's where it gets worse. My, my first single I bought from a friend, bizarrely, a guy. And if I remember rightly, and this is a long time ago, it was a kid in my year called Snoz. And I'd never spoken to Snoz before. And somehow word got round that... <laughs> somehow word got round that Snoz was selling his Snap single. I don't know if you remember Snap. They were, uh, <laughs> I believe, a Dutch pop duo. Yeah, they did The Power. That was their big uh, yes, song. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't buy The Power, did I? I bought Welcome to Tomorrow, a, uh, a follow-up <laughs> Snap single, um, which I believe I bought from Snoz for a pound. And I was really excited. I thought I got a bargain in the century. And tell you what, it's not a bad song, Welcome to Tomorrow. I believe history will absolutely forget it. But, uh, but that was my first CD single. Wow. And then on vinyl, it gets a little bit better because it's weird. It's weird because I was thinking about this only the other day. Uh, the actual vinyl I bought was Everlong by the Foo Fighters on, mm. on sort of like, uh, was it like a blue sort of uh, cloudy blue vinyl? It was really okay. nice, seven inch. It was, it was actually a really good buy. But for some reason, and I don't know why I have this sort of like original guilt or whatever, <laughs> it's really weird. I just remember sitting at the bus stop in Coventry and I was like, I bought it for, I don't know, two quid, three quid. And I suddenly felt intensely guilty about it. And I, to this day, I cannot explain myself. And I sat there in the bush and I was like, I can't believe I've spent my money on this. I feel like it's a really bad thing to do. My folks would be annoyed. Like, why have I wasted my money on this? And, and I, st I still don't know why. And I was like inches away from just like cutting a dead loss and sticking it in a bush and just forgetting it ever happened. And I still cannot explain that to myself. And, and I've gone through sort of like lots of different things. I just think I felt guilty about spending, maybe it was money that mm. my nana gave me or something. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't be spending it on music for some reason. And yeah, it was very odd because after that, my parents were always very supportive. Like I'd used to sort of give my mum lists of singles that had come out that week and she'd head off to Virgin and buy all the 99p picture discs for me and yeah, all the yeah. kind of like, and you know, my parents have always been super supportive, but I just had that one wobble when I bought my first ever vinyl that yeah. I was like, I, sh I shouldn't be doing this. Was and it I because don't... the vinyl was more expensive than the CDs? Is that what it was, do you think? Possibly, or possibly. A bit of and, buyer's remorse. Yeah, buyer's remorse. But, but it was so pretty, you know, as a vinyl. And it, yeah. maybe it was just, I was sort of like, 
I shouldn't buy this vinyl because I don't have a record player. Although that's never been an excuse I've used no. any other time. <laughs> um, but I don't know if anyone else has ever had this weird kind of like, you know, sudden sort of surge of guilt because they bought their first record. And I'd always been fine buying CDs. And yeah, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's one for the listeners. Uh, yeah. You know, if anyone else has had it, please make me feel less weird about myself by, uh, by, <laughs> by persuading me that that guilt is a thing. Well, I certainly bought a couple of picture discs back in the day and I, I didn't have a vinyl player. I had a vinyl player when I lived at home because it was the family vinyl player and it was ah, a yes, Wi-Fi yes. system. And then when I moved out to university, I didn't have room to take a vinyl player, but I was still buying vinyls and I had no idea why, just because they look nice. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. I, I had quite a sizable collection of vinyl before I got a player. And I think like my dad had one in storage or up in the loft and it was some old amp that was like covered in rivets. And also I like, I remember getting it and just being like, yes, I can play all these vinyl. Like, I was sort of keeping in all my special boxes and like, yeah, oh, it's phenomenal times back in the day. And, and there was a little shop in Coventry called um, Hits and Misses mm. that, and oh God, this is so shameful. We used to, <laughs> we used to go in and change the prices again, <laughs> destroying all of our favorite bands in the music industry at Coventry. And it was my friend Liam who I'm going to blame for this because he did it first and we were all like, oh my God. So we'd go in and find the albums we wanted that were like eight quid and we'd change the stickers to like four pounds and take them downstairs and be like, uh, can we buy this for four pounds? And they'd be like, yeah, go on then. And it was like every time, God, I was a bad person. To be fair though, that's not as bad as like one of my friends at school who would basically go into HMV with a list from people from school and nick the lot. Yeah, you used that... to like you used to go to him and be like oh, i really want this or that like i never did because i'm a good person yeah but people would yes those friends of <laughs> yours eh? yeah 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 sure <laughs> tell it to the feds he was eventually blacklisted and was banned from every hmv in the country every oh, really? hmv had a picture of this guy behind their counter wow <laughs> <laughs> infamy and hmv like that, yeah. that could be a documentary itself yeah they, somebody was definitely doing that in cash generator in coventry right because i used to work at weatherspoons back in the day in uh, in the center of coventry and i'd always get to my shift like 10 minutes early pop into cash generator next door and someone had clearly done a grab from hmv from the section that i was really into and it would always be like seven artists brand new cds all of which sort of you get like saves the day six by seven silver sun you know so it all be kind of bands who were very similarly placed in the alphabet that they clearly just go in and be like take them <laughs> sell them immediately to cash generator i'd pick them up for two or three quid you know it's like <laughs> i guess when you have no money the ways you have to uh fill your collection like this are uh you know are, are, are many and varied but yeah i still i still feel bad about hits and misses I, yeah uh, it's, yeah, the, it's the addiction, isn't it? You want all of them and you don't care how you get them when you've not got the money for it. Ex- exactly. These exactly. days, slightly more discerning, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely discerning, yeah. But, you know, at, at that point, you don't really understand it. It just it doesn't feel yeah. like there's an industry of hardworking people who, uh, who mm. put all that kind of stuff together. So, yeah. Well, yeah, this I is always, it. I mean, pay full price these days. so, I mean, I know you were in you were in a band as well. Mm. Uh, or in a couple of bands perhaps or was it just the one yeah I was in a few bands um only one that ever really uh, there was one we started at university that was kind of on the point of doing okay my friend Dave who's very rude and mean said that it was the worst band he had ever heard uh, <laughs> our band at university but, it, but but that's me because we were actually pretty good I think and we got kind of like you know it was that sort of playing the local Swansea circuit getting to a certain point where it was sort of 
you know, started to get sniffs of shows in London and started mm. to get sniffs of shows further abroad. But then kind of university finished. Our drummer kind of, yeah, was less into it, I think. And it, it never quite happened, but but that was fun. I think Hugh Stevens puts in a magazine once, tipping us as ones to watch, which was Ooh, nice. Nice. But yeah, then after that, I got into a melodic metal band, which is not entirely my scene, but mm. that was the kind of band that we did best with. So we signed to like an indie metal label and toured a fair bit. Got on MTV2 once on Headbangers oh, yeah. Ball, which was, uh, so yeah, we had the video on there. Yeah, so it went okay. It was, it was one of those where we worked really hard, had our kind of ex-police riot van that we toured the country in, you know, <laughs> playing to 15 people in Bolton and being like, wow, you know, 15 people in Bolton, that's still good. <laughs> yeah (laughs) and then they kicked me out unceremoniously so that was the end of that and I was like right better do something else (laughs) so what made you want to go from being like a fan of music and uh you know involved in bands to then the record label side of things like running a label well I'd say there were three things one was the end of my band through the day and it was (laughs) it was kind of like The end was facilitated a lot by this review that we got in Terrorizer uh, magazine. Now, I remember this day really well because I was kind of I was on the way I was working and I'd missed a train and I was on a really slow train to London. So I knew I was going to be late for the meeting and I was in a really bad place, feeling sad about life. And then I bought a copy of Terrorizer at the station while I was waiting for said train. And about a year after we'd released our debut album, I was like, oh, my God, they've got a review in like that's amazing. A review in Terrorizer. This is superb. And uh, and then I read it and <laughs> it said something along these lines. And, and I've, I've pulled this review up just because, <laughs> you know, I love I love a good self-deprecating hit. And this is perhaps the most self-deprecating thing. Uh, well, not self-deprecating. This is somebody deprecating so myself. Defecating. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is more of a defecating thing. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and I love this. I feel like in, you know, the lifetime of me, this is what... <laughs> This is one of the dizzying lowlights, which I love to whip out any occasion. So here's what they said about Rue the Days and the Machine. This is so incredibly tedious. It's a wonder how it was recorded without those in the studio taking their own lives. And that's it. That's an opening. Wow. As befalls so many young English bands, the vocals, I was the vocalist, are utterly dire, while the musicianship and imagination are underdeveloped. Lost in a sea of entry-level mediocrity, somewhere between metalcore, melodic rock and the dreaded new metal, anything remotely interesting has already been done by another band and done better. Uh, and then the kiss-off line, which is absolutely wonderful, best served without speakers. Yeah, so... That's that, an evisceration. <laughs> imagine that, a four out of ten. It's not a four out of ten, is it? That's a... Uh, and, and then the person who did it, his initials were RC, and everybody speculated there was someone in my family. But like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's true. But uh, but yeah, so that was that was tricky. Then the band kicked me out and it was like, oh, it was sort of out of nowhere. So, uh, mm. yeah, it took me a long while to forgive them for that. Yeah. But then I'd kind of I moved in with a guy. I'd actually like I'd always wanted to run a label. Me and my friend Liam started up a label called uh, Gregory Pank, which was named after the Birmingham Ironmongers oh, right. uh, when we were at sixth form. It's, it's a funny little Ironmongers in Birmingham called Gregory Pank. But sure. everyone in the wider area of the Midlands kind of finds quite amusing but we never actually released anything. So I ended up moving in with a guy in Oxford uh, called Kev, who runs Big Scary Monsters. And we just kind of got drunk and and sort of thought about putting on some shows. We both have an insane love for 90s indie. So we were sort of talking about doing club nights where we put new bands on and kind of, you know, old bands who are resurrecting, that sort of thing. And it just got more and more sort of excitable about it as you do. And so, yeah, we decided we'd start Al Capote Records a long time ago, actually now. Essentially to start with, just to release three inch CDs Mm. 
we were like it's all going to be about the physical no digital here which obviously after about a year we were like well that's a bit ridiculous because we're <laughs> we're essentially cutting off all profit margins <laughs> but yeah we we kind of decided to do that found our first band via a demo that was sent through to kev's label who's a band called encyclopedia mm. who were yeovil's finest summer pop smash sensations that never really happened but the song was amazing. It was called Emily. Uh, they had a few tracks that were really good. It was, you're kind of sort of like, you should hear it on the radio. You kind of, as soon as the sun comes out, you should start playing this track. Mm. So we started like that, really. Um, the other reason, I think, was that the label, who I should probably not mention, who released our metal album, were not particularly great. And I kind of felt like they haven't really done anything. So I was kind of at that stage where I was like, we could do better than that. And I don't even know what I'm doing. So, uh, so Kev did because he'd been running BSM for a couple of years. So he was a kind of a good start and could kind mm-hmm. of go, right, here's some ways of working and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we just got drunk and decided it was a good thing to do. Yeah. Then I borrowed a few hundred quid off my parents to start us going. We gambled it on football. We put the money on Portsmouth to beat Charlton, which seemed an obvious result at the time. Portsmouth were flying high. Um, and they did. Trezor Lamana Lualua, who was a former refugee playing for Portsmouth at the time, scored the winning goal. And yeah, we won the cash and enough to put out our first release. So I yeah, it all kind of story. started like that. And, and Lualua, I don't know if you're a football fan or, uh, or, or know of him, but he used to play at Portsmouth and various other clubs and was famous for doing this flip. That's right. Yeah. And we actually got in touch with him and tweeted about the fact that he was essentially the godfather of the label without even knowing it. He tweeted back and was like, oh, that's great news. I hope everything's going well at Alcohol, which kind of blew my mind and and, a world apart. And then later allowed us to work with our friends um, who run this little thing called Cheap Panini. Basically, their shtick, and and sorry, I do start to go off on these weird tangents. This is podcast of four. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, right? Um, So they do this this, um, thing whereby, I was about 10 years ago now, uh, they realised, you know, there were stories about the Panini sticker albums and how much mm. they they cost for kids to fill during the World Cup. It's like 200 quid or something yeah. to, to buy the stickers to fill. So they decided to draw their own stickers. So they drew every single player and stuck oh. them in their own Panini and kind of went famous from there. So they got lots of articles. and You know, it's sort of, it's a kind of like, it's, it, it's not a massive fame, but it's kind of like, you know, in the football world, they're quite sort of famous. They're now, you know, I think full-time artists doing crap drawings of football players which is you know what everyone wants to do for a living right <laughs> so they drew us a crap picture of Loire Loire and then we like put it on a t-shirt and uh, and released it as a sort of a t-shirt with Glasgow United FC which is a Scottish club who were very much about reaching out to the community and having their players who can afford stuff kind of helping out pay for people who are you know sort of down on their luck and can't afford to play or are refugees have just come into the country mm. so they kind of will help them become part of the team and become part of the community which is an amazing thing that's brilliant yeah and it was so positive and and Trezor Lamanu Aluwa allowed us to use his likeness for this t-shirt which was obviously meant a lot to us because he's so important to the kind of the the whole mythology of the label I guess and yeah so so he has then become involved again like 10 years down the line which was which was really lovely so uh, yeah that was uh, that was very positive for us but you know if you're going to start a label Chuck your money on football and hope it <laughs> hope it happens. Because, you know, look, if it works, great. You've got some free money to start your label with. If it doesn't, it's going to save you a lot of years of effort trying to do all this stuff. So, you know, you're a winner either way. <laughs> it's such an amazing story. One of the things, because 
a couple of months ago, I interviewed the Stepney sisters. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Through them, obviously, you know, there were familial links to Dream Nails and they were telling me, obviously, I looked through where they were all kind of based and it was on Alcapop. And I read the story and just that story of how the label was set up, I just thought <laughs> I, I've got, that was what I was like, I have to speak to you because that is just such a ballsy move. Admittedly, it's not, because I used to be a Charlton supporter when I was into football, and um, they're possibly the reason that I'm not a football supporter anymore. <laughs> um, so it's no surprise that Portsmouth beat them. But yeah, I, lo- I, I love that story. It's great. So we've kind of touched upon a couple of the things that make the label what it is, but what was the mission statement of the label at the beginning, and, and kind of has it changed, or the ethos, has it changed over time? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. And, and, and I think, you know, it's difficult, you see, for me, because I, I do a bit of teaching, actually, now where I'm sort of teaching um, how to start record labels and all of that mm. kind of stuff. And I always find it difficult when people I, I chat to are kind of like, you know, should I get a business plan together? And I'm like, well, yeah, probably. But I can't sort of tell you that that's the way we did it, because we were kind of like, right, let's put some records out. Um, and our kind of our kind of record label I guess started with the ethos of, you know, and I think everybody's label starts with the ethos that you want to work with nice people and put music that you care about into the world. Mm. There were sort of two things that really chime with me. One is that I was desperate, desperate when I was a kid, well, say a kid, a teenager, to pass my driving test so that I could drive people around and play tapes at them and basically give people lifts and kind of go, listen to this. It's the new Silver Sun track. It's the new Symposium track. It's the new Midget track. And basically, that was why I wanted to pass my driving test. And I had a friend who installed a bass tube in my Fiat Panda. Ludicrous. Nice. Um, in a Fiat Panda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but like, we never bothered fixing it down because uh, for whatever reason. So I just had this huge bass tube, like, rolling about the back of my 900cc or whatever it was, Fiat Panda, Fiat Panda dance. Um, so I was driving around Kenilworth and Coventry with this, like, you know, and I didn't listen to anything that really needed a bass tube. It was it was indie pop, <laughs> yeah. but with stinking bass, which you know I always I always enjoyed. So it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, sort of bassy, like, oh, it's midget. Um, yeah, fine. Um, but yeah, so so I sort of had that, which kind of you know got me excited. And the other thing was, I was always into my football and stuff, and I I loved playing, but I wasn't particularly good. And I supported Coventry City. So I was sort of surrounded by really crap football. And I used to play championship manager on the computer and sort of, you know, I loved that kind of vibe. Of, so, and I know I'm sure anyone who's listened who plays it will understand that kind of, you know, you get your emails in and it's loads of stuff happening and you're negotiating deals and it's, kind of, it's all really exciting. It's all of stuff around the actual game, really, yeah. that's the exciting stuff. And it was kind of like, look, I'm never going to get into football because I'm not good enough and I don't know enough. So music and running a record label kind of felt like a sort of, a slightly, you know, a slightly more accessible version of Champ Manager where I could do that for real. Do you know what I mean? So it was sort of, that got me all excited about it. Like mm. in terms of ethos, as I say, we started off and it was very much physical only, uh, which we changed again quickly. But our ethos was essentially like, let's have a good time. There's lots of good bands out there that we think we can do stuff with. And let's sort of just see how it goes. Mm. And, you know, it, it, I think the ethos of Alcopop has really kind of changed down the line when we've got to the position that we can be a little bit more sort of specific about what we stand for at discount tire we know your time is valuable get 30 percent shorter average wait time when you buy and book online did you know discount tire now sells wiper blades check out our current deals at discounttire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today discount tire let's get you taken care of 
because you know we've always had this sort of loose ideal i guess of kind of like everybody having a nice time you know good parties that everyone's invited to that we can just you know are accessible and we can all get drunk together and have a nice time mm. and and you know it's been that sort of just that kind of broad positivity so everybody's winning has been the sort of main key thing it's like you know we we realized by about week three of running a label that this was not the quick way to settle down and buy copious amounts of houses in a small <laughs> private island off the coast you know it's kind of like you put your first cd out and you're like oh only 12 people have bought it is that right I, I thought you would put a cd up on sale and like they all sold out straight away it doesn't happen well i mean it does sometimes but uh, that's a rarity not everyone can be richard branson i guess exactly right and it's sort of i, I think for me at least it's felt like I have to kind of take that call fairly early on, whether it's like, are we going to do stuff? And, and obviously there's a, there's a massive kind of swing here where it's kind of like, do thing that's right and that you love and because it's the right thing to do and because you think it's awesome versus make some money. Yeah. Now, everybody would obviously love to be at the far right of that swing. Far right of that swing is not a good friend. <laughs> when I say far right, just to, just to explain, I'm kind of uh, showcasing this on the screen. I'm not suggesting... That we're a far right label <laughs> should explain that. There's the, there's the exclusive. That's the poll <laughs> quote. I mean, <laughs> so everybody would like to be on the, that one side of the swing where they're yeah. like, you know, everything we're doing is for the best reason, and this is perfect. Obviously, you have to kind of be a little bit real about it because, you know, the people you're working with, the people you're paying, who become more and more part of what you're doing further down the line, need to be paid. And you know, it, it's not fair to kind of say to your press person, well, I can't pay you this month because. I just really wanted to release a, you know, a, a range of sandcastles because, you know, why not? That's just what I wanted to do. So I've spent all my money. You know, you have to, I think there's a level of responsibility that kind of is forced onto you as your label mm. kind of progresses, which is fine because, you know, and I also have a responsibility to, to you know, I guess my wife as well, you know, because she's like, she, I mean, she does loads for the label anyway. She helps um, sign a lot of the bands. She's an illustrator. She does all of the Alcapop kind of aesthetics for the, um, for the Instagram and all of that kind of stuff. She's super talented and all of that kind of stuff. But I, again, I've got a responsibility to her that I, you know, I got to, got to pay the mortgage on the house. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. it's all of that kind of stuff. So you get these more and more responsibilities, I think, as, as you grow. But broadly, and I like to think that on the whole, we're always trying to sort of swing to the positive ethos stuff. It's sort of like that release is probably not going to make any money, but it's awesome for yeah. this reason. Let's do it. You know, it might be that it's kind of like, look, my all common sense suggests I should go for this, 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 this. But you really want two grand to do this cool thing like that's going to take us into a more difficult situation to, to kind of break even but let's do it because actually i think this is really positive this is going to be good for you it's going to be good for your fans it's going to be good for like a wider community this is a good thing to do mm. so it's that sort of for me it's that weird kind of level of responsibility and i, and I think the key ethos that's that's happened with alcopop and is so important to what we do is to try and maintain a sense of community you know have a reason for people to get involved and that's not necessarily them spending their money with us but just to feel like alcopop's there for them you know mm. and, and to feel that like it's not what I try and avoid with Alcopop is Alcopop and Alcopop fans. It's not, mm -hmm. I don't see it as like Alcopop having fans. I feel like there's a, a community of people who care about what we do. And that's not to say they're sort of like, you know, fans doesn't feel right, but it's people who take a bit of their time to kind of engage with us, to take a bit of time to come to our shows, to take a bit of time to listen to the music we put out, whether it's buying the record or listen to on Spotify, whatever it is, 
And I kind of feel if we can be there and if we can continue to do things that encourage those people to care and encourage new people to care and give people a reason to kind of, you know, get involved with what we're doing, give people a reason to check out the bands we're listening to, then we can be this kind of conduit that's a, that's a positive force and, and, and there for a good reason. And, you know, uh, on the more sort of basic sort of day by day bit is mm. to be able to put really good young new bands in touch with people who will do them a good job without ripping them off. You know, it's scary, I think, for some new bands when it's sort of suddenly they start to get a little bit of success and you get all of these money hungry PRs suddenly dropping into your inbox. You get all these people who promise you the world for doing this. You get all these people who are like, oh, put your songs up here. I was speaking to a manager the other day who was telling me one of his bands had kind of ended up giving away all their publishing rights to this weird site because it felt like the right thing to do at the time a couple of years ago. It's sort of like, you know, just trying to not protect, because that sounds a little bit overzealous, but but mm. just kind of be there to facilitate and help wherever required. That kind well, this of thing. is it. Like from a kind of um, lay person's point of view who might not understand the kind of music industry as a whole, like where does the label or, you know, more specifically, where does Alcopop kind of operate within the structure of like there are bands on the label and then... Do you distribute records only? Are you, are you in the kind of management process as well? Like, give us an example. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a great question. And I think what we've tried to do is create a sense of flexibility there. So some bands, uh, DZ Death Rays being a good example, are mm-hmm. a, you know, international touring rock band. They have a massive following in Australia. You know, their last album went in at number three, number four in the main charts there. They've got, you know, good following in America basically a good following all over the world. Now for them, we, you know, I guess we fill a more traditional role. They will come to us at the beginning of the campaign and sort of say, here's our timeline. And we'll be like, wow, that's a monstrously big timeline. That's awesome. (laughs) And they will be sort of kind of like, here's where the four singles drop. And we've got these ideas. So, you know, they've done some some really cool stuff this year. So they work with Fender to do a a guitar grant. So Mm. kids who can't afford guitars can apply to DZ Death Rays and DZ will then gift kind of five fenders and amps and guitar lessons to these kids so they're kind of getting a young australia rocking which is really cool yeah they brought out their own sparkling wine you know so (laughs) so essentially they've got all of this stuff in place and we are there to kind of help get the good team on board in the uk and europe to sort of aid them with making sure the press and radio are good over here and get all the tracks up on time Mm. make sure the distributors working it and you know just just do the job basically and it's it's a bit more functional Mm. we love working with that team they're really positive you know they give us chance to kind of input and all of that kind of stuff so they're great to work with and you know we can suggest stuff so when they came over to tour last time do you remember gigs that was a, they were the days weren't they uh, vaguely vaguely <laughs> and you know we, we set up with a cool little um gaming bar four quarters over in peckham mm. where we hosted a come and play DZ at video games night to win beers you know and it was kind of so we can do little things like that and kind of build yeah. stuff up so that's quite functional and then there are other bands, Sherim being a good example, who are an incredible sort of punk trio we've just signed from Derry. And that's a bit sort of earlier in the start of the career. So they have the manager. Um, so we sort of liaise with that, to kind of put the contracts together for the EPs and the album. But that's all at the start mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, we were kind of like, right, OK, let's pull the team together. So we got the right radio person involved, got our in-house press person involved. And then, you know, they'd had kind of, um, chats with agents but then it was sort of like right this is happening so we get the agent involved the manager then can kind of use that ammo to big up the Irish team so we're kind of like a lot more involved in that 
then we talk about like, right, what creative inputs can we do all the way along the line? You know, so it's kind of like, and then plot the strategy. We kind of work out, you know, who the supporters are. We start to build that. We, you know, um, working on putting together meetings with Spotify so we can go in and chat to them about mm. the band specifically, building timelines, all of that kind of stuff. So it becomes a lot more of a fulsome process. Mm. Um, so what we try and do essentially, I guess the answer to the question is, is be as flexible as the bands require. So, you know, a band can come to us with literally just the band and we can kind of start work on that and start putting people in place. Or they can come to us when they're a much bigger band and like, well, this is all of our team. You just need to plug in. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's as hands on as the artist needs you to be basically. Exactly that. Exactly that. And, and we try and sort of make sure that where we can, we'll always offer solutions. So as I say, my, my wife works at the label. She's brilliant, can do all the artwork and all of that kind of stuff, if required. We've just hired a new guy called Luke, who's very sort of on in the A&R and is kind of pushing, you know, different sort of things for artists and kind of helping out on sort of the slightly more modern tech, I guess, you know, Discord servers and all of that mm, kind of stuff mm. that I'm like, just it's like a forum from when I was 16. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, so we have those options there. The artists don't have to use them. We have in-house press and radio. So we try and have this sort of team that an artist can plug into and go, right, we need all of those things. And we can go, right, let's, let's do it. And, and mean that we can then, obviously everyone has to be paid, but on a retainer basis. So it's a lot cheaper for the bands to do it. We can kind of run campaigns, which aren't immediately going to, uh, you know, take any sign of potential profit out the window. So, mm. yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, like kind of <clears throat> listing off a couple of those bands there, I gave Cherum a listen earlier on today and I really enjoy that band. They're proper like little pop punk, kind of, kind of paramory, but I've always had a soft spot for female vocal led bands and they've got that pop sensibility, but in a kind of harder edge. It's almost like anyone from Derry is always going to bring out like a pop punk band after the undertones. Like that was the ground zero for music in Derry. It seems like. Yeah, that's it. And it's really exciting for me. And I don't mean to kind of use Irish Irish, you know, I'm not saying because they're Irish, but you know, we've got a couple of singles out and honestly, it's just, it's amazing. The reaction that has happened for that band. They're really special. They've got a mm. lot to say. And I think people are going to massively warm to them. We're very much trying to push them as individuals because they're so interesting. Yeah, They're finally touring with another of one of our band's cheerleaders later on in the year, which is going to be fantastic. Brilliant. And I'm really excited about that. It's all the kind of best venues around the country, you know, that kind of, are going to be sweat pits and, and it will be really exciting. But yeah, so, you know, that kind of band are really special. And I think it's lovely to kind of see that explode. And it's that's kind of you put the first single out and it starts to go and then it starts to go a bit more. And then, you know, you get enemy getting in touch kind of saying, yeah, we want to do a feature on the next record. And yeah. And then Spotify get in touch. Like, yeah, we want to have a chat about this. And it's kind of Jack Saunders starts playing it. And it's kind of, you know, it was one yeah, of those yeah. lovely things. And it doesn't happen all the time. You know, sometimes it's more of a slog, but that one has just blossomed. I mean, the video looks great as well. And like you say, you can tell that they're all individual because they've all got their own individual style too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite yeah. excited about that. So, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, we we got to do some interesting stuff with them. So the first single was around Valentine's Day. So we sent all press and a few fans of theirs Valentine's Day cards with right. uh, with love from Cherry and with sort of personal messages. And You know, they're up for all of that kind of stuff, which is great fun. And, and yeah, that's the thing. We're just working with so many exciting bands at the moment. And I, I, I do feel kind of positive it, it's really nice to work wake up to every day where obviously you have those terrible weeks 
where it's just a week of invoices and suddenly it's kind of like, oh my God, I've just spent £10,000 in a week. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and they do happen. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other positive stuff where you just kind of wake up and you're like, ah, oh, the new Cherim single's coming or the new Toki Horror EP's about to drop. And it's just like, you know, every little piece, every order, every press article, everything's a little win. Do you know what I mean? And it's, mm. it's those kind of positivity everything feels good and obviously you get lots of negatives running a label you know there's no end of them but I think if you can focus on those positives and all those good bits that happen then uh, then it's an exciting world to be in mm-hmm. and um, I suppose the next thing to talk about is how how the music industry has changed even in the small amount of time you've been operating it's like less than 20 years isn't it yeah. um, Al Capop sadly not that small <laughs> <laughs> in you know the grand scheme of things compared yeah, no, totally. to you know 15 years doesn't sound like a massive span of time but especially the music industry has changed so much in the last decade and a half or so what have been some of the challenges that you've had to face in that time and and how have you kind of overcome them and, and kind of turned them maybe some of the negatives into positives yeah I, I mean there have been no end of weird and bizarre challenges I mean you know when we we're about three or four years old our distribution warehouse burnt down which 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 was a nightmare and I remember it really well and we started getting these emails from our distributor kind of saying essentially like your stock's ruined and it was kind of like yeah we need to try and work this out and then a little while later I think we've moved distributors our distro went out of business and then it was kind of like yeah you have to accept 30% value of your stock sign this or you know, you can take us to court and see what you can get. Wow. So it was like, you get those little things, you know, that's really tough to take. Yeah. Because again, you've put loads of effort in and it's kind of like your balance sheets are often on a pretty razor thin wire, you know? And, and if something like that happens, you know, that can be trouble. There are things that you should anticipate, but don't always. MCPS be, being one, which are mm. a body that essentially charge labels a percentage fee sort of licensing fee to press physical records and and digital actually and pass them on to the artist which is fine it's a positive thing but when you start doing a record label you know unless you've done any prior training you don't really know that those kind of things exist right Mm -hmm. so suddenly and it took them a while (laughs) we'd won the best small label of the year and they'd still not got in contact with us and at that point i was starting to be like i think mcps is something and i know you should kind of you should make yourself au fait with this kind of stuff but it's like when you start a record label you're kind of like well a i'm getting drunk and b we're putting records out (laughs) and c you know we're turning up to small i still remember it the first ever live gig i went to as jack from alcopop was in a small snooker hall in hereford and you're (laughs) like you have to drive up to hereford (laughs) and it's like we got there and it was such a weird thing this this overzealous promoter had put kind of red um velvet ropes around the small vip area that was me and kev <laughs> and i'm like i've run this label for like three weeks and you're bringing me free champagne um it's it's sadly never happened again <laughs> I've, 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 I've never had red ropes and champagne since then but but you know and you sort of you're focusing on that and you're focusing on the exciting bits and getting press and all of this yeah. kind of stuff and suddenly you get this this email from mcps go oh we think you owe many many thousands of pounds and you're kind of like oh God. Um, so, you know, it's those kind of things that you sort of find out along the way that can sense to be trying. You know, the, the voyage into streaming has obviously been a massive thing for us. And it's kind of trying to embrace that and make that work, which has led to the whole sort of like focus on much nicer products in terms of vinyl and things mm. like that. 
you know, in fact, in, indeed, the, the rise of vinyl. I mean, 15 years ago, we wouldn't really think of pressing a vinyl. It was true, which is which is interesting because, you know, we we barely think about pressing CDs now, which is kind mm. of like a weird shift. Now I feel like it's almost shifting, starting to shift back the other way, which is a bit odd. So, yeah, I don't know. And then, you know, just really small things that are sort of sent to try you from time to time where, I don't know, you'll get a pressing through and it doesn't look quite like it should do. And, mm. and that's where you, I think, need someone to talk to about these things because I have a tendency, although, as I'm sure you'll no doubt agree, I seem so calm and dignified on the outside I have I have this tendency to get absolutely panicked about stuff um right. you know sort of something will come through and I'll be like oh my god it's the wrong spelling here and I'll and I'll just freak out about it and get really like you know to the point where I'm sort of looking at my own bank account to go if I need to repress this if I've got four grand that is going to be required to re and it's just stupid it's, it's like nobody cares so it's again it's that sort of having someone to kind of take you through that a little bit and having sort of someone you can bounce off if that's an issue mm. and you know all of these all of these weird things that will turn up where you know couriers suddenly let you down or or you know brexit happens and suddenly mm. it's really difficult to get any records pressed so right. you know it's always this sort of like voyage of uncertainty and doubt and disappointments and, and and mistakes but that's the thing and i think it's if you can learn from those mistakes or even kind of go I've made that mistake and it lost me a load of money. I'm going to do it again, but it, this time I know it's going to lose me some money, so we'll be fine. Right. Um, and kind of and kind of temper that kind of stuff with with what you're trying to do. I think it's it's sort of positive. And and I think the key thing for me is you know without using individual examples is just try and be in everybody else's head. And I think that's that's the key. So it's kind of like you need to put yourself in first and foremost the heads of the people who are buying your records like what's going to make life easy for them what are they going to enjoy what are the little quirks you can do mm. to kind of you know get them to kind of go from this is a cool record to like oh, this is awesome you know how can you make life easy for everybody you know i see a lot of stuff about whether you should put stuff on spotify whether you should withdraw it like for me it's kind of like it's all about making music as accessible as possible for people and i think it's super important that you give people those options because you know, you stack up people who are going to listen to records. And, and I do very much the same. It's kind of, there are some bands who will say, I have released this record and jumper and, I don't know, tree that you can buy in a bundle. And I'll be like, you're my favourite band. I'll buy whatever you sell me. Like, literally, you know, Flaming Lips being a great example. Yeah. Stick a USB and a jelly head. And if I can get hold of that <laughs> jelly head, I will pay an extraordinary amount of money for it. Fine. But then there are other bands I want to listen to but I'm not going to buy their record because I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know. I've heard some good things. I'll give it a, a vibe on Spotify. And then I'm kind of like, okay, I've listened to it enough on Spotify that I like it. I will buy the vinyl. And then I kind of like, well, they've got a t-shirt bundle. So I'll buy yeah. that. And it's all about, I think, you know, getting into those places of the people who are going to buy your records, getting into the places of the managers you're working with and the bands you're working with and try and sort of see it from everybody else's point of view so that you can understand what's going to work for them. And I think that's the key to running a label for me is be kind of, uh, empathy i guess is 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 the key yeah because i suppose you've got a lot of people who will stream something and not necessarily buy the album but then you've got a smaller pocket of fans who will like you say buy anything that that band puts out and they're the ones that you want to cater for with the physical product exactly that and i, I heard a phrase and i, I <laughs> 
it was back when I worked in word of mouth marketing years and years ago. And somebody mm-hmm. told me about this phrase, the cube grenade. And I've looked it up and I can, I, I've just never seen it used again. And I thought okay. it was really smart. So basically the cube grenade is imagine if you will, a kind of, you know, a stereotypical American office where everybody's sitting in little cubby hole kind of cubes working away on their computer yes. and everybody's cube looks exactly the same. And it's kind of like white shirt and tie, you know, suit trousers, jacket, everybody's like, banging away doing their boring day job Mm -hmm. but then one person in that office has something awesome in their cube it can be like whatever you can imagine you know it could be a huge model of a phoenix or it could be a you know a record that's uh, the new mars volta box set is a good example of this incredible record set that's kind of i think it's lots of different colors and it you can stack it on itself it looks amazing oh wow and imagine that person in that whole cube office of like a hundred people has this. And they're the only person who has this Mars Volta thing. And everybody's going to walk past and it's like bland, bland, bland. And suddenly they'll see this and be like, oh my God, that's awesome. And ask about it and go, wow, what, what's it all about? Like, what's it do? You know, the vinyl splatter, right? What? Mm. And, and you have this kind of cube grenade where it's sort of like, if you can create something that genuinely prompts people to ask questions and genuinely prompts people to kind of get excited, it's that like wonderful position that you put yourself in where, you know, me as a teenager, you know, I would show my friends the vinyl that really excited me. It would be like, look at this, this is really cool. This has come signed and I'm like putting it on my wall. And Mm. then you kind of have this sort of, this connection with the band where it's really exciting. I mean, Flaming Lips being a good example. I have a copy of Zyreka uh, on vinyl, which is the album where it's four different vinyl that you have to play all at the same time. And then stand in different parts of the room. I've never actually played it because it's such a difficulty to get four vinyl players in my lounge. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so drawn to that band because of that thing. And if people come around and would, you know, sort of say, would you show me three records? That would be one, even though actually I've not even done it. It's Mm. just, I'm so excited by the concept and the amazing kind of like an ingenuity to put that together. Yeah. It was an incredible concept. I I remember reading about it and thinking like, who has got the, the time and resources and, and equipment to do that but like the fact yeah. that it exists is proof enough that like you and people buy it because they want it you know it, it's... yeah and that's exactly it and it's all um, you know you can't get it right every time and, and we've tried to do you know the old limited edition thing that hasn't worked or hasn't looked quite as cool as we thought it would so you know there's a risk there because you're asking fans to to of the band not of us, um, to part with lots of money to, to get that thing. So you need mm. to make sure it's a great product and these great products cost money. But when you can do stuff like that, when you can, you know, we released a compilation on a bike five or six years ago that was kind of like 300 pounds, fixie bike, you know, all in the Alcapot colors, which comes with the CD compilation. Mm. And, you know, only a few people bought it, but it, it didn't matter because we weren't buying those bikes in advance, right? We were buying them as they were ordered. I think we give away a few to journalists for sort of prizes and things. But it was that sort of like, I tweeted about it the other day, actually. And somebody tweeted back saying, it's still as awesome as it was. And this is like <laughs> six years on, they're still cycling their alcohol bike yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is kind of like, you know, this is what it's all about. Well, this is one of the things that I love about independence, whether it's uh, independent filmmakers, musicians, businesses, you know, record labels, is that you guys can kind of take risks and disrupt the norm a bit. And I mean, the bike compilation is an example of one of these square grenade things, I guess. But you've also, you know, you've put out EPs and singles on Frisbees and scarves and and things like that as well. Like, And it, it's all to do with the experience, I guess. That's, that's yeah. what the point is, isn't it? 
exactly that. And this goes back to uh, when I was uh, accidentally suggesting we were a far right record label earlier, <laughs> where <laughs> where it's that kind of thing where you you know to some extent I'm allowed to swear. Right? I think I've swear. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, the the balance sheet can go fuck itself, and that's the beauty <laughs> of independence for me. It's that kind of like you know, and this is why I've never dreamt of working for a massive label. I've never kind of thought, oh, I'd love to be head of record label creativing at Sony because I want to be able to go, yes, Al Capop are going to do this. And I care because it's a band I love. It's not, a, I'm not working for a band who I don't, you know, because the thing is with independence, you have to love the bands you're working with. There's yeah. just no point because, you know, you'd probably earn more money, you know, if you were, st- <laughs> if you were sticking stamps on envelopes and, you know, doing something like you'd probably earn more money in that way, at least, at least to start with for, for you know, first few years. And it's kind of like to be able to work with bands who you genuinely love. It's that sort of magnifying what I was saying about driving around when you've just passed your test with a tape in the car that you can play to your three friends. It's that to magnify that and to have people care about it and to have people go like, wow, that's a really cool thing. I really want that. And to sort of feel that like you've been a part of creating it. And I think, I think that's what means so much to me by running a record label. And it's doing those kind of things that I think, you know, we always try, we always put maximum effort into all of the releases we put out. But, you know, I think it's some of these more interesting ones that maybe have got kind of Alcopop a little bit of infamy doing that kind of stuff. It, mm-hmm. You know, actually, yes, fuck the balance sheet. But some of these have been our most successful releases. Working with No Such Thing as a Fish, for instance, the, uh, the QI podcast mm. has been massively successful for us. We've sold thousands of those records. And it's kind of like, that's great. Because, again, when we first said we're going to do this, there were certainly a few people who were like, well, you can't really put a podcast on vinyl. Who would buy a podcast on a vinyl? Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd obviously not listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, and it was kind of like, you know, we were like, yeah, let's, let's try it and give it a go. Um, and it was brilliant. And, and by utilizing a little bit of creativity and care and working with the artists to sort of say, look, we'll put the first series of this podcast free on the download card. And, and again, it's about though, using your options. Like every record, comes with a download well, not every record but most records come with a download card and mm. people just end up putting the tracks from the album on it why not do more with it you know you can do so much more so we were like well yeah let's stick all 52 episodes of the first series on it and it's kind of suddenly you're paying 20 pounds for a 40 minute podcast mm. you're paying 20 pounds for 40 minute podcast plus 52 others that yeah. you can download and listen to suddenly it feels a bit more of a, of a product you know a proposition you know, the fact that, and this was perhaps one of the best days ever running the record label, that we, we had a meeting with QI, which was wild enough as it is, because you're in sure. there with John Lloyd and Sarah Lloyd, his wife, who's yeah. just awesome. And, and the QI guy. And, and speaking to John Lloyd is kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I've always been a big fan of kind of all of those comedy, you know, Blackadder being a good yeah. example of all of these kind of things. And I'd written the proposal and I distinctly remember, and it, it will go to my grave with me, John Lloyd going, yeah, this, uh, this written proposal is really well done. And I was like, well, thank you, John Lloyd. I will take that from, a, uh, from an unbelievable writer. But anyway, we were in there with them. And, and someone from the Elves team, and I can't remember who it was, said, oh, there is that musician guy who keeps getting in touch, Corey something. And we were with our, the person who's doing PR on it, Katie Malko, who was also an artist on the label way back in the day. She was like, not Corey Taylor. And they were like, hang on, we'll check. Yeah, it's Corey Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> just Corey Taylor, small so, fry musician. Just, you know? <laughs> yeah, just get some Corey guy. So we messaged him, and it was kind of like, look, we need to put this into production on Monday. And I think the meeting was Friday morning. 
I messaged him and within about an hour to ask him to put a secret track on the vinyl, he got back and gone, yeah, I'll record it this weekend for you and have it in your inbox by Sunday. And it's like, oh, there's Corey Taylor just emailing me. That's incredible. Yeah. And you kind of get those things. And it was sort of like, you know, I've still never met him, sadly, but we chatted a bit on Twitter and he got us a guest list for the Slipknot show at Ali Pali, which was nice. nice. But he then sort of went on to be bigger part of QI. You know, he appeared on the podcast and That's then he right. appeared on the... Uh, TV show so it was sort of like you know all of this kind of stuff you know kind of came from that and we were able to run this whole narrative of kind of like you know they are the first rock star podcast and all of that kind of stuff so yeah it was uh, it was really cool yeah because it they're, they're the first podcast to put out a vinyl in the UK aren't they that's it possibly yeah. the only I'm not really sure whether anyone else jumped on that bandwagon afterwards but I mean the thing about podcasts is like the listeners to podcasts are really invested because mm. the same as music, I guess, you've got lots of time to consume that product during the week because you don't have to watch it. You don't have to sit down and you can do it while you're doing the washing up. You can do it while you're driving. And it just uh, the people that listen to podcasts especially are super fans anyway. So it makes sense to try and do these kind of physical releases, really. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. That's it. And I think, you know, people want stuff. And I think the pandemic has taught us that we tried to do a little sale when, when the pandemic first kicked, because we had a lot of stuff kind of left over that I just picked up from the distributor. And I was like, let's just do a pay what you want sale because everybody's in a bad mood and everyone's upset and sad. And it's kind of like people like stuff, right? So if we've got this stuff just sitting about, let's do a pay what you want sale. So it doesn't matter if people's skin doesn't matter if people have kind of, you know, are worried about losing their job. I mean, obviously it does matter, yeah. um, but it, it kind of, it at least gives that sort of opportunity for them to go, Look, I shouldn't be spending any money, but but actually I can pick up a couple of records for postage, what, a few quid. And, you know, obviously, you know, doing those kind of pay what you want things, it's always nice when people pay if they can. But the yeah. whole point of them is, is that, you know, people don't have to pay if they haven't got the cash. So we always try and, you know, try and build those kind of things in from time to time. Mm. Obviously, we can't do it all the time, but we do it as much as we can. Yeah. Um, hitting on the pandemic there, we'll come back to that in just a second. But also circling back around to the far right side of things, there was also the uh, the UKIP website takeover as well <laughs> that you guys did, which I, I remember reading about at the time and thinking it was fucking genius. <laughs> How did that come about? Was that just someone on your IT team noticing that there was a, you know, a way in, a back door? Uh, yeah, so basically what happened was I was doing dry January, so I was very alert of the morning, which is, uh, which is not always like me. <laughs> and someone from Vice, whose name I forget, I think he was their assistant editor or something, just tweeted saying, oh, if anyone wants it and has a couple of hundred quid to spare, the UKIP website's up for sale. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, why not? So I, bu <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> and then, yeah, it all kind of went berserk. So I bought it and just posted a tweet saying like, oh, guess we've got the UKIP website then. Because, you know, I got this sort of back end and it was kind of like, you've purchased it. Yeah. And yeah, it, that was the weirdest morning. Like, I just received call after call from kind of political editors of newspapers. Right. It just went wild. It was kind of like, so many people got in touch and we had the first wave, which was all people going, this is awesome. What a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Then we had the kind of second wave of a little bit of far right stuff going like, you're stopping free speech. You know, you're a prick. <laughs> Fuck right, off. Yeah. Da, da, da. There wasn't that much of that. And then we had the third wave, which was all kind of like legal people and charities getting in touch, kind of charities going, can we use it? You know, lots right. of my, lots of migrants rights network charities, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of saying like, we could make 
great hay with this. And I was kind mm. of like, okay, yeah, this all sounds cool. Then all the lawyers getting in touch going like, you could kind of come down on you like a ton of bricks. We're going to look after you. You know, we'll represent you for free, all of this sure. kind of stuff. It was like, this is crazy. Wow. And obviously I was, I was feeling a bit like nervous about the whole affair, but also absolutely delighted that it was happening. <laughs> yeah. The meantime, and I don't know if you've ever had it, and I've only had it a few times, where a tweet goes properly viral mm. because it kind of kills your Twitter because you can't really focus on anything because it's just like all the time. So, so it was like that. So I was kind of like, it's all a bit of a head fuck, but it was really positive until later on in the day. And, and we'd kind of decided via a few sort of DMs and stuff that what we were going to do was kind of like stick a load of unicorns on it to start with. So we were going to go multicultural unicorns of all different colors spinning around, you know, just to kind of give on the UKIP website. We thought we'll start with that. And then we'll start to look at all the offers have come in. And because I was like, right, we're not going to sell it back to UKIP, whatever they offer. Yeah. If they come at us, then I think we've purchased it legally. Although who knows? So we'll start with that and then we'll see which charity we'll give it to because, you know, see who's got the kind of best proposal for to use. And then eventually GoDaddy kind of blocked our access and it was like, mm, okay, this is a bit dodgy. And mm. I, they did refund the money, but I got an email about two or three years later from a white hat hacker. And basically they suggested that they'd found an error in the back end of GoDaddy. Uh, they contacted GoDaddy about it and GoDaddy ignored it. So to kind of showcase what it was, they hacked a website and because they were a left-wing white hat hacker, they picked the UKIP one, which is Oh, cool. no. <laughs> so it was kind of like a hacking job that allowed that to be up for sale. Wow. So it wasn't Farage's incompetence as we uh, as we thought at the time. Rubbish. Because, uh, you know, our whole diatribe was kind of like, how can you <laughs> even think about this man running the country when he can't even look after his own website, right? So it was kind of like, that's kind of nice. But then we followed it up with the seven inch of the wit and wisdom of uh, Nigel Farage, which is an entirely silent seven inch, which was yeah. fun. That was enter Shikari or Shikari sound system, was yeah, it? Yeah, so Shikari, well, we, we had the A side, which was silence, and then Shikari sound system did a remix on the B side. <laughs> Which, which was essentially the inside of Farage's head remixed. So it had some sort of like uh, seagulls squawking in the background and some tumbleweed sort of rolling across the... Across the uh, <laughs> so it was, that was fun. And it was, yeah. I mean, again, you know, if you're a major label or you have a bank manager who kind of really pokes around in your business, to go to him and say, good news <laughs> or her, we're pressing 507 inches that are completely silent. Uh, you're like, why are you doing that? So yeah, it, again, it's that fuck the balance sheet thing where mm. you can kind of go, this is a cool thing to do. And it's like, you know, I actually said at the time that we're not an overtly political label. We're all about the fun. We're all about community, sure. having, a, having a good time. But I think Farage is very dangerous uh, yeah. because he became this acceptable face of kind of like, really nasty politics and he was there and obviously not that many people were fooled by it but there were a lot of people fooled by it. and he mm. generated column inches and he was the most talked about politician on social media and it's kind of he's there having a pint just doing what's good for britain and yeah. it's kind of like uh, you, you could edit this and make me sound awful <laughs> <You're talking laughs> about the right but yeah and, and so he's this dangerous like manipulative person and we were kind of like we'll, we'll do this and actually my stance has changed on that going back to one of your earlier questions where i sort of feel now the Alcapop should be a bit more political and a little bit more sort of, and not so much us as people, because mm. I mean, I am, and I'm quite passionate about certain things, but I sort of feel that we have the opportunity now in our own small way to amplify the voices of people who are saying really important things. Mm. And I think that's kind of, you know, the, the place that I'm getting to now is that it's, it's not good enough to sit back and kind of say like, 
you know, back in the old days where it's kind of like, we're all about fun. We're all about community. It's just about having a good time. And occasionally we'll do the old political thing if it suits us, because mm. I feel like we have a little bit of a platform, you know, compared to a million other things, you know, a, sm- a very small platform, but we do have a platform now where we can actually be there to try and at least facilitate a bit of a change in the industry and facilitate a bit more, you know, sort of some of the important things that it's easy to talk about on social media, but not actually do. So it's kind of come to that point where I feel like we're a little bit more of a force for political good, or at least a force for amplifying others' political good, Yeah, which I think is kind of important, Mm, you know, mm. for us to consider in the future and for us to kind of, you know, to continue to be relevant and to continue to be, a worthwhile part of the music community. I, I think it's something that's really important for us to, to sort of do more of. I think also the way that um, the internet and social media is, you you kind of have to pick a side as well at the moment, you know, like everything is quite binary, which is a bit of a shame, but yeah, you do need to nail your colours to the, to the mast a little bit. So I was going to ask how it affected your business, but I suppose it's affected your entire outlook, hasn't it really? <laughs> yeah, it really has. It really has. And it's kind of, it's given me a bit more time to think about stuff. I think it's given me a bit more time to kind of reflect on what we're doing. You know, I've actually, I've been so excited about some of the bands we've signed and I feel like we're in a better place than we ever have been in terms of kind of like profile of artists working with, excitement of the new artists coming through, you know, working with artists who I think have a special message, a, a, a positive message. Dream Nails, um, you've already mentioned. Yeah. Really important bands. Great band. Such an important band. Such a banging record. The uh, first listen is kind of like, this is the funnest thing ever. But then there's every song has got a very important issue. And, and mm-hmm. you know, being able to work with that band who are so dynamic and so self-aware and so, you know, self-motivated. Mm. And to be able to work with those four people and, and kind of help amplify their message to a new audience. You know, that record's we pressed, I think, 800 on green and white vinyl. That sold out. You know, CD's going really well. The streams are good. Like, it's kind of like, I feel like we're getting the message across, you know, and, and, and helping. I, again, it's, it doesn't sound quite, it's helping facilitating their message, which we 100% agree with. And it's that kind of like, you know, being able to do that is sort of super important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, we put out a single by a charity called Solidarity Not Silence that is Nadia from the Tuts, uh, people from Colour Me Wednesday and Personal Best. And they have a very sort of sensitive issue where, they're standing up for women who have been abused and who are now being told to shut up. So they're trying to raise money for their legal fight. And we were able to be part of that again, their message. And it just, you know, allowed us to get on board, which meant we could bring in a PR person who happily worked for it for free and who did an unbelievable job. I also I would say actually Sarah Maynard from major PR did it. Who is amazing. I mean, our, our normal PRs, uh, wall of sound who we work with are amazing, but Sarah, oh my god it smashed it it was kind of like the first day it went out and she was like okay just had line of best fit diy upset door oh and rolling stone have covered it and we're like well okay that's kind of smashed it to be honest sarah and then she's like oh we've got stereo gum and brooklyn vegan and yada 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 and all of these other places that covered it and it's kind of it's really nice that again you know this charity with all the kind of positive musical influence they have can create a track that's a banger but then we can kind of, you know, help facilitate, get that out and by bringing the right people in who, who kind of care about the message and who work really hard on it, can get it to all of these different people who can kind of, A, see what the case is per se, but also be able to kind of just see like the wider 
influence of it and kind of and I think again it kind of that perspective of what those people are going through you know it just again reminds you to kind of think oh yeah that stuff is happening mm. and also the fact that you know they produce some banging merch and vinyl so you know everybody got a bit trigger happy on buying it all and you know it'll go into the all go into the legal fees because yeah they're, mu- they're musicians not lawyers you know and they, they kind of need that so so yeah it's being able to work on stuff like that is super 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 positive to us. that's cool and and i suppose the other thing that's fed into that is especially in the last I don't know, 13, 14 months, we've all had to kind of slow down and everyone's had time to look around and assess things that are going on in the world. And I was going to ask whether or not the pandemic has negatively affected the business uh, and the bands on the label or whether or not there's like, because there are these bands with these messages that are giving out, um, you know, that that have got a message to convey and have got brilliant merchandise and there's a good cause behind it. Has there been an uptick in those particular bands? You know, like what's been going on? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And and I mean, it's affected bands in different ways. I mean, I think first and foremost, yes, it's definitely affected every single band we work with because, you know, as a label, the majority of our acts are very much, you know, want to play live. Like we work with, for my money, some of the best live bands in the country you know, and, and the world. And they need to be out on the road. They need to be mm. for, for, for keeping the band afloat for starters. You know, it's kind of, that's vital. Because that's where the they make most of their money, isn't it? On, on the road, really. Yeah, a lot of their money. And it's kind of like, also, if you consider sort of, you know, for us and them, we need to be selling records and there is no better place to sell a record than after a sweaty show where you've just absolutely smashed it and everybody is high on the emotion of having seen who they consider to be the best band in the world. It's like, well, of course you're going to buy a record then, which is kind of nice for us and them. So, you know, that's been negative. But at the same time, I think it's given a lot of bands time to think, a time to reflect, um, you know, a time to kind of adapt. And I think it's it has been for, for sort of all of us. And yes, there are massive negatives about the lockdown. Of course, everybody's had a really fucking weird year. Mm. But, and I speak personally, and I speak also knowing that, it's easier for me to say that because I'm in quite a privileged position that I live in a nice place with a garden and a park opposite it, yeah. which has made life a hell of a lot easier. Mm. I also am lucky enough to be in the part of the music industry that has kind of been able to keep going. You know, the text, the sound text, the kind of guitar, God knows, like that yeah. has been nice. There's been a, a guy moved in up the road from me during the last couple of months and he does rigging for like Reading Festival and, uh, and, kind of arenas and stuff like that and he reckons that he's been making a living this year selling bits of his bonsai collection wow that is how he's supported himself this year and wow to be put in that position i i can't imagine you know i i'm in the same boat as you i'm in a relatively comfortable position i've got a garden you know lots of space around but uh yeah there are there are people out there in in the tech side of the industry that really aren't ha- haven't had it anywhere near yeah. as us you know and that's it and, and I, I see you see these spurious things i mean i saw a, t- a tweet today from uh an artist called uh totally enormous extinct dinosaurs who i remember was kind of big about 10 years yeah. ago and it's something like and i don't want to misname the celebrity in case i've got it wrong i think it was gwyneth paltrow i might see if i can find it on my phone just because because as i say, i don't i don't want to get it wrong sure i'd feel really bad yeah, it is Gwyneth Paltrow. So Guardian US tweeted, Gwyneth Paltrow broke down and ate bread during quarantine. What was your lowest point? I, <laughs> right? And he quoted saying, losing my income for two years, I reckon, and my house and studio and car. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah it's like, 
you know, there's this real sort of, and I feel there's a have and a have not with the mm. COVID and this kind of like, this sort of, yeah, I, I had to, you know, I had to eat this bread or I had to make something. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, you know, some people have just lost everything. So as I say, I do speak from a very privileged position, but, you know, for me, it's been positive. It's allowed me to kind of reassess the way we're doing things, take a step back, stop going to meetings for meetings sake, I think is key for me. And it's something I've talked to with my wife a lot about where it's sort of, you know, the amount of times I go to these meetings and just waste loads of time. And, and also then you kind of end up chatting about the thing and not actually having really the time to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of made me think, right, no, I can do that in half an hour on a phone call, I can do that in 20 minutes on a phone call, just make it happen. So I think it's allowed me to use my time a bit better. Mm. It's allowed me to kind of restructure a bit and sort of, you know, you know, we're applying for a grant at the moment to hire someone full time to work with us, which would be wonderful. I don't know if we'll get it yet, but uh, but, you know, it's sort of it's pushed me towards that kind of thing. of sort of like, you know, I, I need to use my time here and, and potentially I could get someone else to help us out here. Yeah. And then it's allowed us to speak to those bands who, I don't know, it's a bit of a punt and spend the time kind of talking to them and talking to them. And, uh, and you know, by the time this goes out, I can say this now, but, you know, we've uh, we signed Clean Cut Kids. Mm. Um, who are an incredible band from Liverpool who have, you know, signed to Parlophone for millions of pounds a few years ago and it didn't quite work out. But they've now brought their new album to us, which I'm incredibly excited about. They've kind of put this together in this studio that they've built up from the ground uh, in 60s, uh, like 60s gear. So it all sounds beautiful. And wow. oh, it's so lovely. We signed Pulled Apart by Horses for their new record, which oh, I'm wow. absolutely, you know, cock a hoop about. Yeah. Uh, the Subways. Uh, the subways Bird. was the subways was the one that got me in touch with you like I, i'm a massive subways fan i love that oh, band. so good so good and it, you know it's just it's sort of like i feel like alcohol and, and you know working with bands like cherry and cheerleaders toki horror mm. you know best x bands like that who are sort of snow coats from the netherlands like just incredible bands who are kind of you know coming up with this awesome stuff beach riot being another one and it's like you know, all of this dit, I, I need to dance again. Um, and, you know, it sort of got us into the point where those bands have been able to say, right, you know, we're, we're kind of off touring. We're going to have to do something. So we'll work our ways around the kind of pandemic to kind of record. And they're all coming out now and they're all fired, really fired up, really fired up to make something special. So our next 18 months of scheduling is like, I think it's the best 18 months we've ever had in terms of kind of like just, and I would say that, I guess, but we've got stuff, so much good stuff, like albums that are like, I was walking around Twickenham this morning, nearly like in tears because I was listening to this clean cut kid album. It's so beautiful. And like, you know, a couple of nights ago, we had the new Ladybird album on and we were, you know, yeah, on the tequila and just like had it up loud in the garden. There was just, it's so visceral and it's so awesome and it's so important like it's just you know i've got this stuff that, that that we kind of you know sitting on it at the moment which is really annoying because that's the other thing i hate that kind of industry stuff where it's like oh, i've just heard the best thing i bet you wish you could hear it. it's like fuck off no it's like <laughs> i want to share it with people that's the whole point right yeah. that's the whole point so i'm just very excited about what's like genuine and excited about what's coming up i feel like i feel like have rarely been in such a positive position which is wild really considering we're coming out of covid that's so, excellent to hear yeah and i i just feel excited about it all really mm. well it's it's palpable it's coming through the screen at me <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry i do get over emotion no no it's um, fine that's what i love about being able to talk to musicians and people like yourself in the industry is like the passion that you've got for it like that's what drives you that's what started the whole thing 
yeah and it's clearly so, still there and still <laughs> still is uh, and, and i love that that's what i you know that's one of the reasons that i do this yeah that's exactly it and i think you know and, and something i've found you know actually with another business i was involved in in lockdown which i've kind of like finished partly because lockdown had kind of kicked it anyway mm. but it's sort of it's kind of like if i'm not 100 percent passionate about it just don't do it do you know what i mean it's sort of mm. and, and that passion with Alcapop drives me to the point that I'm probably very dull to everyone around me because it's like if someone starts and I and always always try not to not to be like oh I run a label don't you know da, 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 because that's very lame but like if someone starts talking to me, to me about it and is genuinely interested I could just yammer on at them for and I mean hours I mean <laughs> I, like you'd have to you'd, you'd yeah you'd have to put a podcast version out that's just like don't listen to this one it's just him yammering <laughs> on about this stuff for for ages and it's not relevant to anyone but but you know to, to me it's kind of like and it's, it's super exciting it's it's mm. kind of you know part of part of the thing that's this is all about really so yeah covid has been tough the pandemic has been really tough for all of the bands i think there's been lots of times for us as well where you get really down on stuff you know in those sort of dark days winter mm. like it's oh. long winter been very tough oh. you know yeah everything's getting dark at four it's like yeah, like yeah. i say there's always those massive down up weeks when you run a label or do any as you know kind of mm. creative stuff where all the invoices come out or the guests cancel or you know something doesn't work or you lose a huge file that you're like oh yeah but <laughs> you get those but the positivity kind of outweighs it for me and, and, and while i love it i just keep doing it and it's sort of and, and, and while it's you know while while it's working financially because again it comes down to that of course you know you, you got to make sure it's sustainable right but uh but yeah luck we, we've been fairly lucky that it's it's been fairly so this this last year or two so yeah that sounds excellent so the future's bright at the moment and you were saying that a couple of the bands Cherim um were going on tour in November or going on a small UK tour in in November so is it looking like you know, from from your position in the industry, is it looking like things are going to be starting to open up by the end of the year? Yes. My, like I say, my 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 neighbour up the road now who does the rigging reckons that Reading is definitely going ahead this year. And yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, if you say so, but yeah. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that. Like mm. 2000 Trees was cancelled, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. Festivals, we shall see. Like we're playing ahead. So Subways are touring without Brute in September. Mm. Like, and if that goes ahead, I'm that's feeling confident on all the rest. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be awesome. Um, and that's like what two and two and a half thousand cap at the forum. So I mean, if that can happen, and it's not socially distanced, it's a, it's oh, a wow, full on really? shows. Yeah. So okay. at the moment, that is is. And when's that it, planned for? That's September time, late September. So that's going to be good. We're also doing a Alco Popper Cruiser which is based on Alcapopalooza, yeah. where we hire a boat down the Thames and we've got about, we can bet, get about 150 people on board. We've nice. done it once before and it is, it's amazing. So this time we've got a Friday night, which is going to be super cool. So we've got the Subways, Tellison and Beach Riot playing to 150 people on a boat down the Thames, which is going to be amazing. Wow. Like, very much looking forward to that because we had Tellison play the last one and it sold out super quick and was really amazing. Like to have the subways playing what is essentially a living room sized room yeah. on a boat. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about that. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know how the Thames is going to cope, 
Even if I can't get a ticket, I'll just make sure I'm on the Thames walking alongside it. <laughs> Absolutely. Get one of the Boris bikes and just cycle yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so that's going to be fun. So yeah, we're doing, we're doing like lots of things like that. Um, we've got, a, you know, a little bit of involvement in certain festivals. We're praying that they happen. But you know, again, people's safety is paramount, isn't it? So if yeah. they get cancelled, they get cancelled and we, mm. we go again. I think the music industry is quite resilient despite all the... And, and that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you've got like, <laughs> you've got Brexit, which is not being kind to yeah. the music industry. You've got the pandemic, which is not being kind to the music industry. Mm. You've got music bodies doing weird stuff like that license for live shows that whoever it was dropped recently. Right. And you're like, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's so difficult. And it's, it's kind of bizarre because like- it's like, not only is all this taken away the possible income for these artists, it's also taken away the thing that they love doing. Yeah, like yeah. You, you play music first and foremost for the joy and the love of playing music. It's a bonus that you can make a living out of doing it. But not only, you know, it's just, oh, why would you put what? Why are you putting things in the way? Oh. Yeah, and it, it sort of, it just feels like sometimes, you know, just people, and you're like, just, just don't, just don't. I mean, you know, without meaning to uh, bang on about MCPS, they dropped us a uh, a monstrous bill, like literally two days out of lockdown, and they were like, oh yeah, by the way, you owe this. And it's like, why would you do this to me now? Like, come on, come on, give me have a some month. Empathy. Yeah, have some <laughs> empathy, man. So yeah, it's that kind of thing, and, and you know, there are there are always a million things and a million sort of reasons and, and kind of negative stuff to get in your way, but but it's just traversing it, isn't it? And it's kind of like it's it's tough and uh, and in all seriousness i you know I, I starting a record label now from scratch i just i think it would be very tricky but having said that you should do it because it's awesome and i think you know I, I, like it feels to me there's a good community of people who run labels little indie shops do stuff and bands who do it themselves because i mean bands don't necessarily need labels do you know what i mean it's sort of mm. like and, and i've always think that's a kind of strong uh, an important thing to say because not every band does but I feel that if you, as a label, can kind of get into the place where you can say, you don't need us, but here's what we bring, you know, and here's, we bring a bit of money. We bring a community, we bring hard work, we bring effort, we bring time, we can bring all these other people on board. We can make sure you're in front of this person, this person, this person, this person, you know, we will help you with the creativity, we'll help you with the timelining. And, you know, obviously, if you're starting a label from scratch, all this stuff comes with time, but it's sort of like, I feel like a label even in 2020, are we in 2021 or 22? I can never remember. It's uh, <laughs> it's like last year didn't count, so I don't I know. know what year we're in now. <laughs> I know. And I, I love the way everyone was like, 2021 is going to be so great. And then it's like three days before 2021 or whatever. It's like, oh, another lockdown. Probably oh, not. <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing that I think, you know, even in 2021, there's a, a real place for labels, a real place for kind of communities, mm. um, a real place for, for, for things that can do and bring people together. So if anyone, I guess, is listening to this who is thinking about it, uh, and I have, you know, occasional times said, ah, you shouldn't do that, you know, but actually just just do it. And like, there's loads of good resources out there and there's loads of good people to, to help. And if ever anyone ever needs to drop us a line, we'll always do our best to help as much as we can because I think it's really important that the next generation of people are here to take over old folk like myself when uh, when it gets to the point that I just can't make the stairs of the old blue last anymore do you know what I mean so uh, so yeah so yeah, I think this stuff is important that's incredible Jack this has been such an incredible conversation I've really enjoyed chatting to you today and and like I, I love the positive energy and the fact that 
I think like myself in the last year, it's just all been about turning a negative into a positive and you've been able to do that. And I think that's really, really, really exciting. Uh, and, and great things seem to be lying ahead. So, well, yeah, it, it, it feels like it. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time, Tom. It's really lovely. Like, and you know, um, you cover the Stepney Sisters and, uh, you know, such an important release for us, that one, mm. something that we were able to, you know, put out with some people who've created a banging record that's just never been heard. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's so nice that people could kind of pick up on that. And, yeah. and you know, and, and as you say, like, oh, the subways, the subways making new music. That's enough for, uh, for happiness in 2021, if nothing else, right? And the new song, Fight. Oh, what a banger it is. I could listen to that all day. Yeah, and sometimes do. Uh, but yeah, so uh, all positive. All positive. Utterly yeah. incredible. I really look forward to seeing what comes next. Um, I've been converted i think you've you've introduced me to a whole bunch of new bands that i didn't know existed and um that's what we're that's what we're here for <laughs> yeah um so once again thank you for coming on today jack thank you for giving up your time um, no thank you such a great conversation oh, it means a lot that uh you know you want to talk to us so uh yeah very much appreciated thanks ever so much there you go didn't i tell you that jack was a great guy I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat as much as I did having it. Jack had so many amazing stories, and the label has some brilliant bands signed to it. I really want to get to that Subway's boat party, I think that sounds brilliant. Now check out Alcopop Records at ilovealcopop.co.uk and give their bands a listen, buy some merch, and reach out to them on the socials to let them know that I sent you. They're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as SoundCloud and YouTube. Also, please do reach out to me on all of those places, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or via email to let me know what you thought of the interview. But as ever, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 